right, welcome back to another great episode of Dan on Top. I'm your host, Dan Lukowitz, and today we've got an incredible guest, Senior Vice President at CBRE, Carly Iacono. Now, Carly is one of those individuals that really isn't a single aspect about net lease that she can't speak about and speak about with authority and expertise. So, hey, without further ado, Carly Iacono. Dan, thank you so much for having me. Love these conversations and really pleased to be on your show. Thanks yeah. for the opportunity. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. This one's going to be full of value, guys and girls. So, hey, before we get into what you do, Carly, I want you to tell all our viewers, who is Carly Iacono? I am a national net lease investment sales broker at CBRE, as you mentioned, sell properties all over the country, based right outside New York City in northern New Jersey. And I have two young girls who are a huge part of my life as well. Awesome. Awesome. So you're a national net lease broker like myself. We do we have a lot of overlap, which I think is one of the reasons we get along so well. Um, and you know, I know that, that you have maybe a different insight than I do. I know that, like I said, there is a lot of overlap, but let's jump right in. I'm curious, what are your predictions for what's gonna go on in the net lease world in 2021? It's gonna be an incredible year. I am very positive, very bullish on it. NetLease as a sector is continuing to gain, I guess, just notoriety as a real asset class. Absolutely. And as more tenants want to become closer and closer to the consumer, as more retailers want to come out of malls and multi-tenant centers, the the NetLease sector is only going to grow in popularity, both from the, the tenant side as a deal structure for them, and then also from the investor side as they see the, the long-term benefit in this type of asset. So yeah. I, I think we're, we're only going up. Absolutely. Do you think that a lot of the um, you know the ups and downs and volatility in the equities markets is pushing more investors into the net lease space? Hundred percent. Great point. So a lot of our buyers are new to real estate. They are not real estate people by background. They're pulling money out of the stock market, or maybe they sold a family business, or maybe they sold a two-family home or a small apartment building they've owned for thirty years, and they're looking for passive income. So nothing meets those objectives as well as net lease properties. So they're coming in looking for stability and looking for passive income, and this is without question the best way to find it. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And, you know, I love this because I'm going to ask you the same questions that people ask me, and I'm excited to hear your perspective. So let me play devil's advocate. Why net lease? Why do I want to buy a property that's going to give me a four, five, six percent return, Carly? It's stability. I find so often that investors of other asset classes underestimate the expenses, the management, the turnover. So what looks to be a higher return in another asset class may not be. And in net lease, in a true absolute net lease deal, everything is covered by the tenant, as you know. So when you're looking at a deal, it's very easy to quickly say, okay, my cap rate is my return without financing. Very straightforward, quick analysis, and you know what you're going to get. So that becomes incredibly useful from an estate planning perspective, a retirement perspective, or just asset diversification. You can not only have passive income, but you can diversify across different types of tenants, different markets, really kind of spread out your risk profile in lots of interesting ways that you can't do with management intensive assets. Yeah, those are definitely some great points. You know, Carla, you mentioned that you're bullish in 2021 and moving forward in net lease. Are there any sectors that you're particularly bullish on? 
I think some of the trends that we saw in 2020 are going to continue and probably amplify. Anything with a drive-through is going yep. to continue to see cap rate compression, just because, uh, if that's even possible, right? Because of the long-term viability of those types of sites and the difficulty in getting them approved from a, a new development perspective. So drive-throughs are huge. Every tenant wants one, and they're really difficult to get approved through zoning through most towns. So that's QSR, quick serve restaurants, going to continue to be huge. Grocery, single tenant grocery, really interesting space. I think we'll continue to see a lot mm -hmm. of demand there. Uh, Netlease Industrial, if you can find product, which I know you <laughs> uh, have talked about, will be very much in demand, but we're going to have a supply demand issue, I think, in, in that part of the market. Um, drugstores, there'll still be buyers. I don't think it's going to be as fervent as it was in, you know, 15, 16, 17, because we're mm -hmm. not seeing the expansion of those tenants, but they could still be a long-term stability play. Um, but those are some of the big, big ones. Oh, convenience I'll mention as well. 7-Eleven, any Wawa, anything with good credit and long-term leases, we're seeing incredible demand for. And those are some of the, the tenants that are in huge expansion mode as well. Uh, discount stores. I don't sell a ton of them, but I, they are also expanding. So we'll have a lot of new builds coming to market, which mm -hmm. always drives investor demand because everyone likes new construction. So they'll continue to be a, a focus on discount as well. Absolutely. And you, you, know, you mentioned some interesting sectors. I think that we've really, 2020 and the first part of 2021, have really done an incredible service for the drive through right? And I think that what we're seeing is 7-Eleven just announced they're going to start utilizing drive through services. I think we'll see a lot of additional retailers that realize that this whole concept of the drive through is not only more efficient for the customer, but it's really more efficient and cost-effective for the uh, the actual retailer as well. I mean, I, I don't know what you're seeing, but I, in the last you know three weeks, I sold a, 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 when, a quick service restaurant, Wendy's, with a drive-thru. And then on Monday, I listed another Wendy's. We had eight offers, four above ask. And within three days of bringing it to market, we're already under contract in a shortened 10-day due diligence period. So right now, the market's absolutely on fire, especially if you have a drive-thru. Congrats. Love those deal stories. That's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah. It's, now, it, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's true, and it's mattering less how long the lease terms are because everyone believes so strongly about the the releasability of drive-through sites. So I think that's been an interesting shift. Drive-throughs or QSRs or even banks with two three years used to be really hard to move, and now people are actually out in the market looking for those deals because they know that if that tenant does fail, there is a very long list right behind them of, of tenants waiting to come in. Exactly. In case in point, this was a six-year deal, which, like you said, maybe in the past people would have thought, you know, had second thoughts mm -hmm. about. But like you said, because of the viability of the site um, and just the traffic that goes through it on a daily basis, it becomes incredibly, uh, you know, attractive. So, you know, you mentioned about cap rates, and we talked about how they are relatively low, but there's that inherent stability in the net lease space. If one was looking for yield in our space, what would you advise them to look into? There's a few places. So most things in real estate are risk reward, as everyone knows. So there's going to be different measures of risk if you're looking for a higher cap rate. Um, I'm seeing some yield on shorter term big box because there's a, a retenant element there mm -hmm. that's maybe not as clear, although I do think there's opportunity there. Uh, daycares because of the whole work from home 
new phenomenon and in the fact that most daycare deals do not have strong corporate guarantees or if they do they burn off it's not usually for the full term right so the lack of guarantee on daycares is pushing some of the cap rates up um Things with short-term leases that don't have a drive-through. Think sit-down restaurants. Those are a way to get yield. They're not going away. I'd be very careful investing in fast casual or sit-down restaurants, but I think there's opportunity there um, because they're being hit maybe a little harder than they should be. Same with gyms. You know, most people have a pretty short-term um, analysis period. They're going to look back one year and say, well, gyms were shut down last year. This model doesn't work. We're going to, you know, pay a seven and a half, eight cap. And, and that's an amazing yield for what would have been a very, very stable tenant year before. So a lot of these sectors are going to bounce back. And there's this period of time right now where the concern, I think, is overinflated for what those tenants are going to look like in the future. So now, you know, anytime there's fear in a market, I believe that fear is a driver of market inefficiency, and there's uh, an you know excellent opportunity whenever you have a fear-based market like we we have today. You know, and obviously there have been some incredible challenges, which, you know, for better or worse, I think provide for excellent opportunities moving forward. Which tenants do you see uh, expanding through development and uh, acquisition now that we're in the situation that we're in right today? I wish the list was longer, and I actually think we are going to have a supply issue because of the the shutdown on development for the last year. Things are picking back up, and there are tenants expanding, but we had this year where not a lot happened from a development perspective. So we are going to have, um, I think, really a, a situation where demand for new construction far exceeds supply. But who is expanding? Uh, 7-Eleven's been very active. Yep. Like I mentioned, the convenience tenants, very active. You know, 7-Eleven and Wawa and Quick Check in, in the Northeast, anyway, seem to fight for every single site that's, you know, over two acres. So I think that'll continue. We're going to see more market penetration, if that's even possible, in the discount store space. So Dollar wow. General, Family Dollar, I think they announced it was 1,200 stores, definitely over 1,000 for 2021. And they've had that pace for the last five or six years. Yeah. So. It amazes me there's anywhere left that there isn't a Dollar General and Family Dollar, Dollar Tree, Um, but apparently there are quite a few markets that they're still targeting. So we'll see those on a new build. Fast food, wherever it's not already, those tenants are all expanding. Um, And then the grocery wars are going to continue. It's going to it's going to be this interesting test of does the grocery anchored center continue to be the first choice or is it going to move more into single tenant? Whole Foods has some single tenant locations. Aldi's big on that. Lidl's in expansion mode. Um, so, how grocery transitions will will drive product as well? Yeah, there's definitely I think an incredible opportunity. We're seeing a lot of growth in that discount space and the grocery space. I think that it's an exciting time. My question though to you is is how do you feel about interest rates and their impact on our space? Because if you look at the ten year Treasury, I mean it's up from you know, it's, it's, it's up close to 100 basis points, actually more than 100 basis points. Um, and we're talking just over the last 90 days. It's such a good question. And I would have expected that shift in interest rates to be priced in more to cap rates. I haven't seen it. Likewise. And I think the, right, the reason that we haven't seen it is because of that lack of supply that I just mentioned. Absolutely. 
There's so much money that was on the sidelines in 2020. So many investors that were waiting to sell their multifamily property or industrial. Now they're bringing those products to market. They're doing 1031 exchanges. They're coming into net lease, but there's not enough new construction to absorb all that demand. So I, I really think until the, the supply demand equation levels out, interest rates are going to be kind of a second thought, secondary thought. So now there's a lot of cash buyers. There totally are. And you bring up a good point about the mm -hmm. supply in terms of new builds and how that was really stifled by what went on over the last 12 months, and, and, and understandably so. I think that another key component is that if you look at net lease, there was this whole wide array of different types of products that you know, probably hundreds of billions of dollars were being infused in, into and out of every single year. And then when the pandemic came along, we finally found out about this new concept called the essential retailer, right? And all that capital, right. or a lot of that capital, still needed to go somewhere. It's just that it was constricted, right, into those essential retailers. So I think that it's it's a combination of lack of supply, but it's also a combination of hungry buyers who have all this dry powder that they had on the sidelines, and they're only able to really concentrate on those essential retailers for the most part. So, you know, I guess my question is, moving forward, what's going to happen? Are we going to see that that supply is starting to, to you know, keep up and starting to really fill that pipe? I mean, how long do we see uh, moving forward with this incredibly limited supply in our market? I think the, the next tier of assets that aren't essential are going to have increased demand. Um, I can share a quick deal story. I listed a Kohl's just last week. I remember. At, which is, right, a great tenant. Uh, really nice deal, 10-year term, but Kohl's is big box apparel, basically, discounter, depending on how you categorize it. I knew we would have good activity, but had no idea it would be the level that we had. We're running best and final. We have tons wow. of offers on it in just days, just days. So I think it's it's those buyers that were saying, okay, I didn't think we'd go after a Kohl's, but now we're going to go after it hard because there's just not a lot of other options. And this checks a lot of the boxes. So the money's gonna spread out. It has to. Um, there's only so much more cap rates on Chick fil A and 7 <laughs> Eleven can be compressed before you're actually losing money when you buy right. them, which some people do negative leverage. And, at, you know, there's gonna be a tipping point where it's like, okay, that's insane. Uh, I already feel that it is insane for Chick fil A, but, you know, people are gonna say, I I'm gonna start looking elsewhere. So I think it's just gonna be a, a matter of the capital filtering out into different types of assets mm -hmm. and expanding beyond just the essential. And you think at, at the same time we're going to see the the developers really start to push out more product because of that that pent up demand and the fact that they weren't able to for so long. I think they're trying. Uh, the problem from the development side are construction costs are very high, yeah, incredible, and rents are not increasing at the rate the same level. So when you're a developer looking at a new site, you're backing into your exit, right? Your your proceeds, and it's all a function of the rent that tenants paying and your cost to build. So those numbers aren't working as well as they used to because rents aren't keeping up with construction costs. So I know there's a lot of developers that I know, and I'm sure you know too, who are looking for projects. They're looking for tenants to build for. They're hungry to get out there. It's just difficult to find the right mix of land costs, construction costs, and then tenants that will pay rent to support the projects. 
Yeah, absolutely. I will tell you, I mean, that's a good point in terms of construction costs. We've seen like the price of a two by four here in Michigan has gone up from like $2.80 to about $7, which is incredible, right? I will say, though, I think there's three exceptions to that. Number one is the industrial space. I saw some incredible research actually from your company, from CBRE, that came out that said, I believe there are 31 markets across the country that are poised to see 20% or more rental growth over the next five years. So industrial is number one. And then number two and three would be quick service restaurant. The fact that a lot of the retailers are shifting to a smaller format, I think is going to help you know uh, solve that problem. Because if a typical developer was going to be building 2,500 square feet, and now they're building 1,300 square feet, and the rent is relatively the same, that's going to help bring down those construction costs. And I think we're also seeing that in the, in the retail pharmacy space, right? With like Walgreens, with their Cooper concept, 2,200 square feet, mm-hmm. which is an incredible decrease from you know a store that is typically maybe 14 to 17,000 square feet. Um, and then some of their micro pharmacies, which are drive-through. I, so I think that, thankfully, the smaller retail f- footprints are actually going to help combat that issue. I think so, except in the case where your your actual lot size is increasing because you need single, double, triple drive-throughs. Yeah. And just from a, an access and zoning perspective, there's going to be more costs to accommodate that, less costs attributable to the actual building. So. We'll see how it shakes out. But the Walgreens example is is a good one because it's a pretty extreme difference from thirteen to sixteen thousand, let's call it, down to just a few thousand. That's a huge shift for them. But it really is. It really is. And it's going to be exciting to see what's going to happen. So we've talked about assets that are in demand. What about markets? In your experience, what markets are the most in demand and why? A lot of capital moving to the southeast and southwest. Mm-hmm. It's people like to invest where they see growth or in areas that make them happy. I mean, that's it. It's what can I connect to as a private client? REITs are a little more agnostic on that. They have their specific investment criteria. They don't think as emotionally. But private clients, and as I mentioned, I'm in the New York area, used to be they wanted to be in the tri-state area, and that's it, right? Because the rest of the world doesn't exist outside New York to New Yorkers. (laughs) So they had to be right here. Now it's, well, you know what? Florida's pretty great you know, because half of them spent the last year in Miami. So now all of a sudden there's like, wow, oh, that's interesting. There's a lot of growth there. Maybe I would invest in Florida. So I, I think it's where people spent the, the most time over the last year and where the population and demographics are increasing versus decreasing. I haven't had anyone call me and say, I really would love a fast food restaurant in Michigan or North Dakota. Uh, it's definitely down South. Sure. All right. Well, listen, we're about to wrap it up, Carly. This has been incredible. Share with us a piece of advice for everybody watching. Mm, Piece of advice. You can make money in any asset class doing anything that makes you passionate, but take a deep dive into whatever it is that you're focused on and just don't follow the herd. Well said. Well, hey, Carly, you've been an incredible guest. Just like I expected, you hit it out of the park and jam-packed this one with tons of value. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. It's been great. Absolutely. I'm Dan Lukowitz, your host. This has been another great guest, another great episode of Dan on Top.